Dear Father, Lord, we, we do praise you and we thank you for your goodness, Lord. Your goodness and kindness to us in Christ Jesus, Lord, we thank you that having ascended, you've given us your spirit to lead us and guide us in all truth. And so, Lord, we ask that as we come to your word, that indeed the spirit would teach us and lead us and guide us into all truth, Lord. Uh, that we would be <clears throat> transformed by the hearing of your word, Lord, through the renewing of our mind, that we would be conformed to the image of your son. Lord, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. <clears throat> All right, so um, we are in 1 Corinthians 1, 1 Corinthians 1, and as Eric alluded to last week, uh, <clears throat> uh, through no communication uh, together on our part, uh, we both were finding ourselves being led to teach through this first part of Corinthians. Uh, so uh, obviously um, uh, the Lord was uh, wanting us to, to do that in this kind of joint fashion where I'm picking up right where he left off. And uh, while that's really cool in some senses to always be like witness that kind of thing happen, it's also like a little bit terrifying because you're like, well, great, now um, now we're, we're pretty confident that like we're, we're working uh, with what the Lord wants to do and, and now I just don't mess it up, right? So, um, <clears throat> so uh, we're in 1 Corinthians 18. We're going to go all the way through to the end of chapter 2. My first Corinthians one eighteen to the end of chapter two, <clears throat> and um, in doing so, that's a, a lot of a lot of verses. So I'm not going to explicitly read out the entirety of the passage, but we will uh, talk about what's in the passage and highlight a couple of portions uh, within there as we as we go through, and uh, we'll see what the Lord <clears throat> has to say for us. So. Um, Paul, as he's writing the letter to the Corinthians, we understand based on, uh, uh, again, what Eric had, had introed for us um, there about the beginning of the letter. This is a letter to the Corinthians. It's very corrective in what its, what its approach is um, as it looks at basically progressing the Corinthian church mentality from their worldly, sensual, carnal way of thinking into a spiritual uh, wisdom, a spiritual way of thinking. Uh, he mentions that in <clears throat> chapter 3, right, um, at the, the beginning there where he says, I couldn't speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, right? And the rest of the, the book is devoted to this, to this uh, thing of point by point addressing concerns where they are thinking and behaving, therefore, in a way that is carnal and then revealing and exhorting them to uh, think and act in a way that is according to the Spirit, right? He addresses things one by one as he goes <clears throat> through the rest of the book. Uh, but uh, as we see here, he has this little injection about uh, essentially this principle of spiritual wisdom, which really uh, defines for us how to get through the rest of the book because it's, it's an understanding spiritual wisdom that the rest of the actions and the activities that he's going to be exhorting the Corinthian church on really can uh, be uh, come to light and can, can be understood. Uh, so he's got here for us, uh, he is going to highlight the spiritual wisdom of the Lord, God's wisdom, because it is in opposition to the wisdom of the world, which he is said in verse 17 when he was telling the Corinthian church about 
being unified, about not using the ministers of the gospel as a means of promoting themselves and, and being like, well, I'm of Paul, so like I'm a better Christian than you, or I'm of Apollo, so like you don't really have any real standing in Christ. Or some be like, well, we're of Christ and these kinds of things, right? Uh, he, he's going to take that and he's going to be like, well, look, I didn't come to you, as in verse 17, I didn't baptize, but I preached the gospel not with wisdom of words. And he's going to emphasize through the entirety of the thing that, that what he spoke by the world's standards isn't this thing that you could possibly be like, I'm going to be elevated by the presence of this man because, you know, he's eloquent or whatever. He spoke in wisdom words because the message that he preached was foolishness by the world's standards. Right, and so he, and, and in doing so, he's going to make a comparison for us between the wisdom that he speaks, which is considered foolishness, and the wisdom of the world, which is foolishness. Right, um, and uh, so he's uh, going to do that for us, and so we're going to explore this comparison together uh, to highlight wisdom, because honestly, wisdom is itself really one of those large questions of life, right? It's not this like kind of like thing that like only like philosophers sit and contemplate and, and try to think of what is wise or whatever, right? But rather wisdom touches every area of our life because it is the application of what we know into the regular activities of life, right? Whether or not you're operating in God's wisdom or in worldly wisdom, you're doing the things that you're doing, you're operating in the way you're operating because of a knowledge that you possess and you're applying it to the things around you. Wisdom is a very practical, practical thing, right? <clears throat> so uh, before we, again, progress into what he says, it's important to define for us wisdom because this isn't going to be a comparison of two, we'll say, things where it's like, this is wise and this is foolish, therefore just be wise and just, or else you're going to be foolish. We're going to see a comparison of two types of wisdom, Right, that, that, that he's going to express to us what the wisdom of the world is, a type of wisdom, and then what the wisdom of God is, right, and how these are different. Right? And, and <clears throat> I think what we'll find, uh, and what was certainly personally challenging, is that if I'm honest with myself, most of my interaction in life by default, if I'm not very careful, falls under operating in the wisdom of the world. Right? Uh, because it is so sufficiently generic and so subtle in, in what it seeks to accomplish, and, and, right, that, that it really is our very natural bent. <clears throat> so he says this, um, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, there's the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since the wisdom of God, in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Uh, he goes on and he, he, he highlights this idea of the foolishness versus the wisdom. Of the idea that what one is calling foolish, the other calls wise. What God is calling wise, the world is calling foolish. What the world is calling wise, God is calling foolish. Right? And, and as he does so, as he progresses, and it even says that God, what, what's happening here is that God by choice has chosen. Chosen to operate in such a way that it is against the wisdom of man. 
Right. And, and, and so what we learn here, um, the first point of emphasis, the first thing that, uh, the, uh, that Paul wants us to uh, make this comparison over is that these two wisdoms have different metrics by which they call themselves wise. Right? They have different metrics. Um, they're measured differently. And, and we can see what God's measurement is. We can see what, how he, how he uh, operates in wisdom. His goal, they have different goals, is in verse 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence. In other words, the wisdom of God is focused upon achieving a certain goal, right? And, and skillfully navigating the things that it faces in order to achieve that goal. And that goal is the glorification of Christ, right? Is the glorification of God through Christ, right? Uh, whereas man, his wisdom, seeks out an ability to skillfully navigate the adverse circumstances of life in order to achieve a different glory, the glorification of man, right? And so they have two very different things in mind as far as what they're looking to achieve, right? And every activity that man engages in, every pursuit is towards this end of the glorification of man. And the things that God is himself doing in the world and through us in the world and what he did through Christ and what's revealed is that it was for the glorification of God through the person of Jesus Christ, right? And, and we see this, right? And we understand, well, they're both in a technical sense, forms of wisdom. Because very technically speaking, wisdom is simply the possession and application of, uh, of a diverse set of knowledge into a, a large set of circumstances to be able to accomplish one's goal, right? Like you would say somebody is wise, right? If uh, in a very silly uh, way, if you were like playing chess, Right, which I have done a couple of times with some of these high schoolers who really like to invest their time in playing chess. And they're like really good. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> they're like, oh, we know all these moves and these things or whatever. And I'm like, I have casually played chess for a little bit and so I can pick it up and kind of do something with you. Right. And so um, I go and I play with them and I'm like, it's uh, I love competition because it really emphasizes this this concept of making, of navigating skillfully, right? Uh, because uh, this is a strategy game, right? It's a strategy game. You're trying to, I have a goal in mind to take the other person's king, right? And they have their own goal, right? To also trap the other person's king. And we're both applying the knowledge that we have to the situation. And, and, and we find ourselves in opposition to one another and whoever has the most skill Wins, and for me, that's usually the high schooler, right? Um, so, unless it's one of the, those ones who's like, "It's my first time playing chess." I'm like, "Yes, I can finally do this." Here we go. <laughs> that's why I play my wife in chess. She's just, she's just, she doesn't. She's uh, she never learned how to play chess, right? So it was like, it was like, "I'll teach you by beating you many, many times." <laughs> um, that's why the Lord gave me the high school group so they could keep me humble. Be like, "Ah, oh, see, you're not that great at that." So anyway. Um, <clears throat> anyway, wisdom, we would call that person wise, right? Because they are skillfully navigating an adverse set of circumstances in order to accomplish their goal, right? And so the world has its own way 
of navigating its circumstances in order to accomplish one goal. That is to glorify man. Whether that is on an individual pursuit or in a corporate kind of global pursuit of the glorification of man. It doesn't really matter. They're both really bent on glorifying mankind. Right? Uh, and, then, and then God is in the exact opposition to that. Right? Uh, and Paul, as he emphasizes this, he breaks down the world into a couple of groups of the way that this operates. Right? How the attempt at the glorification of man manifests itself in the wisdom that the, that the world pursues. And uh, so he starts out in verse 22, he says, Jews request a sign. Right? There's, there's the religious bent towards being able to glorify mankind. Right? Uh, and, and, and so the Jews, right, they had what? What did they receive? They had received the moral law of God. Right? Uh, so they, they took this, though, which is intended, and it's only thing that it can accomplish, is the revelation of sin, but offering no power to overcome it, right? So it, it, it presents the revelation of sin, and it points towards Christ, but what, in, in the pursuit of the glorification of man, what, what, what the religious mind does is it takes the law of God, or any law of any other religious system, and rather than concluding that man cannot be glorified through this, it takes that and it says, this is the method by which we become like God, right? It says that we can glorify ourselves. We can be elevated into the status of God if we simply make ourselves more moral, right? And here's the thing, the, the law in any religious system never could do that. Never could do that because the, the, the law of God, even by, it was never meant to do that, right? But the world having a different way in which it, it's going to, a different goal in mind and therefore a different way in measures what's wise, it, they do everything in order through moral means, what they, what they consider to elevate either themselves personally, right? Or just globally, Right, us into a position of, of being able to say, hey, we are righteous. And if we find ourselves in that kind of thinking, we're operating in the same wisdom of the world. If, if we look at the law of God and, and we use it as a means of concluding to ourselves that I am more Christian or better than somebody else, or that I am in somehow more like God because I've completed X, Y, and Z, right? And then we're operating in that same wisdom. <clears throat> uh, he breaks out into a second group, uh, the, gr the Greeks who seek after wisdom. <clears throat> right, and when we think of the Greeks, we, we, we think of ourselves as the intellectuals and the, the philosophizers. I don't even know if that's a word, but I just made it up. So those who philosophize. Anyway. <laughs> um, and uh, we look at that group, right? And this is the, the same goal, different method. Same goal, different method. Rather than seeking solely a moral means of obtaining to a righteousness and therefore a standing of, of greatness in their own mind, there is, for them, the ascension into glory by an intellectual ascent. 
right, by increasing knowledge. If I, well, if we just know better, if we just progress in, in the things that we know, we'll be able to progress in the things that we can do and we will come together and we will become more like God or rather not needing God because we ourselves are God, right? Uh, there's the, 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 the real fundamental belief there that in order to accomplish this idea of having glory, right, that, that they can do it through this gaining of knowledge as if the problem was just that we didn't know, right? All right, uh, in case you're wondering if the problem is just that we didn't know, right, uh, the Lord makes it very clear in Revelation when he establishes the millennial kingdom, right, that after a thousand years of Jesus reigning, and you can very clearly say everybody knows better, <laughs> righteousness covers the earth like, like water covers the sea. After a thousand years, he releases the devil to tempt them, and they still rebel, right? It wasn't a matter of, did we know better, right? So there's a third group which will also fall under the Greeks um, uh, because it's, the Greeks weren't just interested in philosophy and intellectual things in that way. Well, it, it, the philosophy wasn't just about intellect. It was about gaining like more scientific knowledge or anything. Uh, some of the philosophers also concluded this idea of... of uh, of giving into the flesh, as it were, as, as entertaining the flesh and, and being uh, totally consumed and, and worried about that, not even worried about it, but just indulging in that as a means of just basically, uh, whereas the other two may be trying to ascend into glory, the, the, that third group is more about saying that we already have glory and we're just going to fill it out by indulging in what we have, right? Um, <clears throat> Uh, all of these things are really summed up for us in James 3 uh, because they, they really represent uh, one, one, one thing. Uh, so let's go to James 3 real quick just to, just to look at it. It says in James 3 verse 14, James 3 verse 14, <clears throat> if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but it is earthly, sensual, and demonic. Right? This wisdom does not descend from above, it is earthly, sensual, and demonic. It is characterized by this self-seeking, this self-promotion, this idea of achieving your own glory. Proverbs makes it very clear that to pursue one's glory is not glory. Right? The Lord says these kinds of things to us, and here we have presented to us the world thinks differently. Right? Uh, and, and it's funny because self-seeking and envy are really two sides of the same coin. They are two sides of the same coin because where you're looking to emphasize the, 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 the internal glory with which you think you possess, or you're looking to elevate yourself in order to get a glory so that you can be like, look at me, right? Comes the realization as you're in that pursuit that other people have other things. And maybe their glory looks better than yours. Right? And maybe you're not as glorious as you thought. So, well, I want that too. Well, I want this because that person has it. And it's not, it's not fair. It's not right. It's not great that they have what I don't have. Right? They are two sides of the same coin that leave us in a place by God's standard, really, where we have no tools. No tools to, to, to be able to accomplish what God wants to accomplish. Right? Because all that's left for us within that 
if we're devoid of, of understanding what God's goal is, right, and understanding what we'll see later, what he's given us to accomplish that goal, if we're, if we're left to our own resources in that, all that can be left is every evil thing. That's what every evil thing exists there. Where envy and, and self-seeking are, every evil thing is, right? And so the world, what it pursues, whether you're being religious, whether you're being intellectual, whether you're being sensual, doesn't matter. You are trying to accomplish the glorification of man. Right? And, and God is not in the business of the glorification of man. He's in the business of the glorification of Christ. Right? Which, as a caveat, something that we don't really have time to discuss today, but does glorify man because it's Christ's work that has elevated us into the position of sonship. And so so it's really cool. But anyway, <clears throat> glorification of Jesus Christ is what God is after. Right? It's what God is after. <coughs> now, as we continue, Paul makes a second point of comparison as he comes in uh, from verses six, chapter two, verses six to twelve. Uh, he emphasizes that the, the these two wisdoms they have different messengers. Right? They come through different people. Right? Uh, he says in verse six, "We speak." So he's talking about himself and the wisdom that he's sharing. Uh, among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing, but we speak the wisdom of God. In a mystery, the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the ages for our glory, I'll skip down to verse 10, but he has revealed them to us through his spirit. Right? But he has revealed them to us through his spirit. So we got, we got two messengers here. Right? In, the, in, in verse 6, we see that the, the, the main resource that, that, that communicates to us the wisdom of the world uh, is, is primarily just the general sway of ideology that's in the world, which, if you look at Ephesians 2, is under the sway of the devil, right? It's under the sway of the devil. And so, and so there is just that generic way of thinking which can be summed up in the devil's first lie to Eve... Right, that you could be like God without God. Right, the message is, is that you could be good without God, that you don't need him in order to obtain to that which you seek to obtain. Uh, and this, this, this pervades throughout the entirety of every society and of every worldly ideology that exists. Right, it, it, it is so subtle in that it... it it is so easy to have that emphasis in your life, right? It's so easy to, to fall into the trap of thinking, well, I want to do what's good for mankind and, and, and in, that, in that line of thinking be, be following the wisdom of the world which says, well, let's do it this way without God, right? Because we can, right? And furthermore, uh, we, we're so easily led astray because the ones who we listen to the most in the pursuit of, for us, if we're in the world, in the pursuit of the glorification of man, are the ones who have some sense of achievement in the world, the rulers of this age. Right? And guys, we, we look to these, to these people 
right? Eric already made a Taylor Swift reference, so I'm going to continue it, right? So, right? so we look at Taylor Swift, who has like no, no, no real moral standing and no understanding of the Lord at all, right? She can't hold a boyfriend for more than two minutes, right? Like, anyway, do with that what you will. Um, <laughs> right? um, uh, and then we look at her and we go, I want to be like that. Right? Or, or, or we look at, look at some of the people who we just admire in general. Or like maybe you're into sports or maybe you're into music and you're like, I, I like that guy. This guy, he accomplished what he wanted to accomplish, which is the same thing that I want to accomplish. And look at how he did it. I'm going to pattern my life after him. I, when I was young, I, the, one of the... First, so I love basketball. And one of the first books that I found myself reading when I got to an age where I could read like chapter books pretty well, it was the biography of Michael Jordan, right? I was like, this guy's the, this is the dude, right? How did he do it, right? And you know, and then he, it's a really encouraging book, honestly, if you're wanting to like, because you're like, oh, well, look, he wasn't even good in high school. You know what I mean? So there's still hope for me, you know, and stuff like that, right? <laughs> you know? Um, but we do that. And on a more serious note, we do that with, with political leaders, right? We do the, 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 these messengers of, of promising to us that we can achieve the goals that we want to achieve. It might not be for them to be like, hey, you can become this. But the, the, their message, subtly different, is I'm the one who can do this for you. Me and my government policies and, my, and the things that we come up with as a political party and all, these will lead you into a place where you have all that you desire. All the goals that you want will be achieved if you give me the power. And guys, whether you're far left, far right, a little bit left, a little bit right, whatever, wherever you are, if you're mid, whatever, doesn't matter. Every government system is bent upon you thinking that they can save you. Right? Uh, it's bent, bent upon building a utopia here where you are then essentially grateful to them for building that, right? And guys, it's the glorification of man. It's the glorification of man, right? The spirit is not known through those means, Right? Uh, what God wants to do isn't understood through the message of some political leader, of some popular figure, or and none of those things. He is known, and what he wants to do is known by the message of his spirit, whom he has given us. Right? And the spirit is the gift of Christ. It's the glorification of Christ. You know? And look, as he, as he speaks to us these things, all of the things that he speaks to us are just not like the world at all, right? It comes by the Spirit, and we have to be very careful because the, while these, these two wisdoms have different messengers, they have the same method of reception, right? Because you're either going to put your faith in man or you're going to put your faith in God through the testimony of the Spirit. 
Right. And, and, and you're, you know, when we talk about faith, we're, we're talking about believing the promise of a testimony and engaging in activity that represents that belief. Right? You know, people think of the analogy of like a chair. Right? Everybody has, has everybody heard the chair analogy for faith? That if you see a chair, you're putting your faith in the chair by sitting on the chair. Right? While it's a semantic thing, you're not putting your faith in the chair. Right? Because what you're doing is you are receiving the testimony of your eyes and of your senses, and you're observing and making conclusions based on that about the chair. And then using that, then you are acting in such a way, right? So what you're really believing upon there is the testimony of your own senses, right? We're always operating like that, whether or not we have faith in science, faith in ourselves. It's an act of faith because we are receiving a testimony, we are believing it, and we are acting upon it. Wisdom of the world, they have their messengers. Are we believing what they're telling us? Uh, Furthermore, are we desiring what the world is desiring in its message? Right, because sometimes the message of the gospel, right, if we try to take it and make it fit, make it fit into the message of the world, boy, we're going to be very confused, right? Look, uh, you all know, uh, Addie passed about, coming close to a year now, Addie passed about almost a year ago now, and and that is one of the hardest trials that our family has ever had to go through. Hopefully the hardest one, but, you know, the Lord can do what he wills. Um, But... You look at that, and, and, and me and my wife, you know, we're having, having a hard time, having a hard time at the beginning months of that. And, and we were sitting, we were having a conversation, and, and there's this, is when you're dealing with the death of somebody, so many different kinds of questions uh, come up. And, and one in particular was this, this notion of, of Danny was, was expressing, like, I, I keep asking the Lord to comfort me, but I'm, I'm not being comforted. And we were trying to like going back and forth about this, and and you see, when we're faced with difficulty like that, sometimes we we're, what we're wanting isn't what the Lord is offering. Like if 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 the comfort that we wanted, right, was that Addie would return, or that such an instance would never happen again. Or that we could gain control of our lives by perhaps being more up to, to it on the medical stuff and, and figuring out things that way so that we could gain a sense of control over our health and those things like that. And that's, not, that's not what the Lord is offering in the gospel. Right? He's not offering you the absence of suffering. Do you understand that? Like when we're, he's offering you an ability to go through the suffering, not to remove it, right? Because he himself also went through it, didn't remove it, but he accomplished his will through it, didn't he? And so the only comfort we could take, right, is in the nearness of God in that. 
And look, if I didn't find that comfortable because it didn't match what I wanted because my goals were aligned with the world and not with the Lord, then I was going to find no comfort. Because God isn't offering to us just generically what makes you feel comfortable or generically what makes you feel happy. He's offering to us himself and we find our comfort in him. And look, it doesn't make sense to the world. It, does, it doesn't make sense to the world, and it might not make sense to us, right? But that's okay because he's given us his spirit, and he has a testimony to tell us that we must operate in faith and belief, right? <clears throat> now, what he's telling us, right, which was alluded to, <clears throat> is all that we have in Christ Uh, You see it here. He says, God has revealed them to us through his spirit. The spirit searches all the things. Yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man? So you can't know what's in God's mind except that it's revealed. It has been revealed through the spirit. And it says in verse 12, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God that we might know the things which have been freely given to us by God. It's the glorification of Christ. It's, it's the elevation of how wonderful he is because he, the Spirit is communicating to us things that we possess in him that can never be taken away because they are finished in Christ. Right? When, Christ ascended, when Christ was on the cross and he completed his work, he said it is finished, right? And there was nothing else to do and he offered all of what he accomplished to us, Right? And look, what he accomplished was far greater than anything that man could seek to rise up to be able to do. Right, John in Revelation, read it on your own time, when he's in the throne room for that first time and the scrolls are sealed and he's crying about who can open them. Right, there were real adverse challenges to being able to save mankind that nobody could handle. Right? Right? except for one person, Jesus Christ, right? Because John was so sad in the throne room there when he saw that it was sealed and there was nobody found to break the seals. And then the angel looks at him and he's like, don't cry. The lion of the tribe of Judah, he's the guy, right? Guys, we have all we need to face life in Christ himself, and this is what the Spirit communicates to us. He communicates to us all that we have. And by the Spirit, he transitions that piece of information into real application, right? That the gospel isn't just something we know, but it's something we do, right? And so these things, the, these wisdoms, not only are they, do they have these different messengers and but they they're received by by both by faith that they differ in the method in which they're expressed right because the gospel in us communicated through us looks like something looks like something very specific right uh, and and the wisdom of the world which seeks to glorify itself looks like something pretty specific because it can only look like something very specific. Go with me real quick to Galatians 5 and we'll see what the, what the operations of the world can look like. Uh, 
if you're one of those people who likes acronyms, go eat popcorn, right? That helps you understand Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, so. <clears throat> I know Tom likes that one. Tom's a big lover of popcorn, so. Verse 19 of chapter 5, Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. It's, it's pretty, pretty evident. We're operating in the flesh, we're operating in the wisdom of the world, which only has the flesh as its tools because it, it ignores God and what he's given us. Right? Uh, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Right, uh, that operating in the wisdom of the world, its methods and its choices of how to get to its goal only lead you to this place of self-destruction. Right? You see, because devoid of understanding all that you have in Christ, you're left to your own resources. And left to your own resources, life is too much to handle. Right? But we do not have the spirit of the world. We have the spirit of God. And so what we go back to in 1 Corinthians is a highlight. Coming back, I skipped over this verse. Chapter 1, verse 30. But of him, you're in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Uh, just as a quick note, this is a retelling of, of the fact, uh, part in part of the, the fact that what we have is the gospel in order to tell us how to live, right? Because uh, when we look at, if you have the New King James, you'll see a dash and then the and, right? You'll see uh, Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, dash, and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. If you have the Old King James, they don't have a dash in there. So it's an untranslated word in the Old King James, and they put a dash here for this one. Uh, the word te versus the word chi. These are both prepositional words. One chi is the one that's translated and. Right? And then there's this word te, which is, they, they are different kinds of prepositions. One is adjunctive, and the other is conjunctive. Right? And when you're doing a conjunctive preposition, you're putting things together. It's, it's putting things together of a category, right? in the same categorization. All right, so you say like, oh, I mean, I did this last time and I forgot what insects were, so let me do mammals, right? Um, <laughs> right, so you would say, these are mammals, monkeys, dogs, cats, and the like, right? Uh, it, it, it's it, the, the and there that groups them is, is that they are of the same kind of thing or whatever, that they're I'm making a common category, right? But when I think of the adjunctive thing, what I'm thinking of is uh, the, the things that follow, right, are are adding information to what preceded. Um, uh, you know, and so this is a description of the wisdom and, and, and what, is, what, it, what, it is in, what is contained inside of it. Right? So it's not like wisdom and separately redemption and this and that, right? But rather that the redemption, uh, the righteousness, sanctification are adjunctive to the wisdom. Right? And, and so... What he's saying is, is what was said before, is that we have all we need to be able to skillfully navigate life in the gospel because these three things define the gospel for us. 
right? Because of what he says here is righteousness, that is our justification before the Lord. It's complete in Christ. Our sanctification, right? Which luckily for us um, in our, in our uh, common uh, way that we speak about salvation is one of the ones that's included. That's us being set apart by the Lord for a special purpose. And redemption, which the word includes this, this idea of not just like, oh, we've been redeemed from sin. Uh, it's talking about the future. It's talking about the future. So this is about our future glorification. And you'll actually see often in the Bible that this is the case when the, specifically with the term redeemed, right, and redemption, it's referencing the future glorification, right? We have the promise of the redemption, right, that it's coming, this thing where we are finally redeemed. We're on a voucher system, so to say, where the spirit is our guarantee, right, so to say, and then the future redemption will, will come. So this is, this is telling us here that we have all that we need in the gospel in order to live wisely. And how do we live wisely? When we receive the gospel, we imitate Christ. Uh, Christ has become to us wisdom. Right, Christ who accomplished our salvation, and that's the thing that's communicated to us and empowers us into a life that can glorify God. Right? He is also the one who has told us what that looks like. Right? It's not just that he's given us the tools, he's, he's showing us how to use the tools. Right? Uh, and so uh, what I want to do here to wrap us up is a comparison between the two wisdoms Right, where on, on the one hand, the world has at its disposal self-righteousness, self-sanctification, and self-glorification. And we have, by Christ, his justification of us, his sanctification of us, and his glorification of us. And what that manifests itself like, and what that practically begins to look like. Right? And what it leads to as it expresses itself. <clears throat> so in the world... Right, self-righteousness, again, so this is the idea, right, that you have within yourself the capability to be just before the Lord, right? Or if you're, you know, atheistic or whatever and, and, and don't think about the Lord, right, then you just seek to be at some higher status, some position of greatness, right? And what that expresses itself in, in your own life, if this is how, how you are living your life, is in the continual boasting in your own achievements or seeking out more achievements for which to boast in, and the hiding of your flaws, right? Because if you're looking to be thought of as being in a position of greatness, righteousness, or justice, or whatever, Right, then the very thing that threatens that is the revelation that you are indeed flawed. Right? Uh, and so this, this is what leads, leads you into a place, into a place of doing the exact opposite of what Eric was talking to us about on the first week that he was in Corinthians. Right? It was living open to correction. Because right? you're going to want to hide Right? When the Lord who wants to glorify Jesus wants you to be open. Right? Because it wasn't about you living perfectly, but about you being perfectly forgiven. Right? Uh, that Jesus gets the glory in the fact that as you present yourself to him openly, he cleanses you. Not you cleanse yourself and then present yourself. Right? But that you present yourself and he cleanses you. Right? It's a very different way of doing life, 
uh, to the world's standards for which it makes no sense. It's a very scary way of doing life, right? Because uh, people are so afraid of being judged, so afraid of being cast aside because of the things that they hide. Oh, but we have the freedom in Christ because of the justification, which is not by our works, right? We have justification, and so we are free to live openly because it was never a matter of me being good enough. It was a matter of Christ loving me enough, right? Uh, secondly, right, the self... <clears throat> oh, just as a footnote, that also, if you're operating in the, uh, the self-righteousness mode... <clears throat> uh, that will uh, lead you into a place of, of, of prejudice and, um, uh, and division. Uh, because those who are of whatever standard you've set up to declare as this is what's right before the Lord, right, uh, you're going to exclude all the others. And necessarily, since it's by your own achievement in some fashion or another, you're going to think of them as lesser. Right? right you know, oh, well, I'm part of the group that, you know, we have achieved our, our, our financial success this way and those guys are just losers who don't know how. Right? Right? It doesn't matter here or there what, what, what the activity is that you're setting up. It, it will lead you into a place of thinking of others as less. Right? Because the only thing that helps us not think of others as lesser is when we're all reduced to that position of being lesser and only Christ saves us. <clears throat> uh, two, self-sanctification. Uh, so sanctification is all about being set apart. It's all about being set apart for a holy purpose. Uh, the holy purpose we have in Christ right, is to be made to look like Christ because that's really the only thing that's, that's holy and special and unique. Right? When Moses approached the... the um, the uh, fiery bush when he was in the wilderness and, and the bush was on fire but not being consumed. And Moses approaches and he says, remove your sandals for this is holy ground. It's the first use of the word holy. Right? Uh, it, what made the place holy wasn't the ground. What made the place holy wasn't even that the bush was on fire. Right? Or that the fire was interestingly not consuming the bush. None of that was what made it holy. What made it holy was that the presence of the Lord was there. Right, and look, the world and its idea of being able to set itself apart internally, devoid of the Lord, right, to find its own uniqueness, right, by itself, just lays out silly platitudes like you're super special as, you know, whatever, as you are. And look, here's the thing. I'm not saying that you're special in the eyes of the Lord, right? He gives you value and he's shown you that value in Christ. But let me tell you something. You're not that special, right? <laughs> Right? Look, devoid of the Lord, you're just like everybody else. Right? Devoid of the Lord, you are exactly like everybody else. Hitler was no worse than any other person. He probably fully believed that what he was doing was righteous. Right? Because he had a goal in mind, the glorification of mankind, elevating them into what he called the superman in the German context or whatever. They use a different word. But into the superman. And then for him, that led to a highly genocidal kind of mentality. But it was still the glorification of man. That mindset still resides in you. You're not that special. What makes you special is that God has put his spirit inside of you. The only way that you can live different, that you can't be led by the mindset of the world, is by being led by the spirit. 
right? It, it is the thing that sets you apart. Right? But if, if you ignore that, and you just seek to hear the empty platitudes of the world that say that you have some inherent niceness or uniqueness about yourself, you will do two things. One, you will feel entitled to deserving something because you're so special and you need these things or whatever. Or, or right, you will be led into the covetousness that comes when you realize maybe the frailty of what makes you so special. And it's like it's not as special as somebody else. Right, um, the, the, the b- believing that not receiving that Christ sets you apart, it, it has no no good end, no good end in that. <clears throat> but in Him, right again, we have the freedom in the sanctification by Christ. We are free to realize that we are unique. Right? You have been set apart. You don't need to set yourself apart. You are set apart, and you can look more like Christ, who is what's unique about you. You can look more like Christ by yielding to that process of sanctification, the work of the Spirit in you. Uh, Finally, the self-glorification, self-redemption, as it were. The the world, it's, it's about salvation. It's about the future promise of a completed salvation. Right, that we will one day awaken in His likeness, and the the righteousness will cover the world. Right, right. Like it's this this is this promise of basically all that you could ever hope for, and honestly beyond anything that you could ever hope for, because we can hardly comprehend what is meant by that. But the world foolishly thinks that it can save itself. Right? Look in this mindset. Right, manifests itself in you in that you don't seek out help, right? But rather that you seek to save yourself, right? And, and it manifests itself in, in the pride of how you have saved yourself. And uh, corporately, kind of in more of a global sense, it manifests itself in following a cause rather than the person of God, Right? Because God is not interested in progressing us into a, a, a society that is some nicely fit thing, right? He's interest, interest, interested in preserving us through a society that is crumbling, right? There is no promise that the society we live in will remain. It's the exact, exact opposite promise. Christ will come and bring his kingdom, but he will preserve us to the end, right? Whether or not kingdoms rise or fall is irrelevant to them, to our goal, right? America rises, America falls, China rises, China falls. Who cares? Who cares? Because at the end of the day, Christ's kingdom is coming and we don't need to build another kingdom, right? We have to wait for the one coming. We have to be preserved in the midst of it. And he will do that, you know? But look, if we're focused on the self-redemption, then we will be engaged in every activity that leads us to thinking that we can save ourselves. Whether that's a political front, a humanitarian front, whatever. It's not to say that 
engaging in a political discussion or doing humanitarian things is useless. Right? It is to say, though, that if your only goal in doing so is so that way mankind can be elevated to some status that you feel is better, well, then you've missed out entirely what the wisdom of God is calling you to. Because we're, we're supposed to be engaged in the activities of things like, you know, if you want to do a humanitarian thing or you want to, whatever. It's not a limitation on the activity that you're doing, right? But it better be so that Christ is known through you, right? Like, it doesn't matter if poverty is erased or if cancer is cured, if it's done at the expense of Christ being glorified, right? It doesn't matter. Why? Because at the end of the day, who gets the credit for doing it is what matters, right? Look, if you do it and you're like, look at what we did. We came together and we didn't need God to do it and we accomplished it. Well, God gets no glory in that. And why is that so detrimental? Well, because the glory is his anyway, right? Look, the reality is, is that we can't. We have to acknowledge that the glory is his, you know? And so this is where the wisdom of God differs. And it's really challenging, right? Because we might find ourselves in a situation, and we often do find ourselves in a situation where we're operating according to the wisdom of this age, right? Where we're making decisions based upon how it elevates ourselves, how it might elevate just like mankind in general, rather than asking ourselves, how does this elevate and make known Jesus Christ? How do the daily activities that I engage in make him known where I am to my family? How is he known in my workplace? How is he known as I'm out shopping? How is he known amongst my friends? How is he known amongst the people who don't like me? And if that question isn't continually on your mind, then be wary, right? Because the default is, is that there's the wisdom of the world that you'll be operating in, seeking stuff for yourself, seeking promotion for yourself, or just if you're, you know, of that bent, seeking out like the, the global how can man be better kind of mindset, you know? So let's, let's be set apart by the Spirit, right? Let's be set apart by the Spirit. Let's, let's, let's yield to the wisdom offered to us in God, not the wisdom of the world, which offers to us at the end nothing, right? We have to really see the value of what God is offering us and walk in that. Let's pray. Dearly Father, Lord, we come before you. We thank you for your goodness and kindness to us in Christ Jesus. We thank you for loving us through Christ Jesus. We thank you for the gospel, Lord, the gospel of salvation, Lord, that you are for us and that you love us and that you sent your Son. Lord, having given us your Spirit, Lord, help us to be those who actively walk in your wisdom. Lord, that we make you known through all of the activities of our life, Lord, that, that you would be glorified in us and through us, and that uh, at the end of the day, Lord, your will would be accomplished in this world. Lord, we, we thank you, we love you, we praise you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.